0: This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman,
1: brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman.
0: Midlife Mail Podcast time, Greg Scheinman with you right now. We are going to get this week's episode going with my man, D. Todd Burgess, international keynote speaker, leadership expert, productivity hacker, executive coach to high performers, and one hell of a CrossFit athlete. Also, husband, father, motivator, executive, Todd delivers keynote presentations, executive coaching and leadership development workshops to audiences on topics including interpersonal communication, servant leadership, personal growth and fortitude and resilience. You want to be inspired, you want to be motivated, you want to be held accountable. Let's hear from D. Todd Burgess today on the Midlife Mail podcast. So how did you, so you work with, you st- are you still working with Merck? I am. Okay. Yep. So you're full-time, and this has been a long time, 20 plus years. With 24. Merck. 24 with Merck, okay. So you're in big, big corp. that's big business. Mm-hmm. How did you get into that?
1: That's a great question. Um, so, back shortly after I graduated from college, I was working the job that I absolutely hated uh, in Colorado, and um, had heard that healthcare industry, specifically pharmaceuticals, was awesome, and it was, as I found out. But I didn't know how to break in, and things were obviously different. Then the way that you network was different. We didn't have a you know, all the electronic communications that we have today. And um, I didn't know how to get an introduction into the company or companies. So what I was good at was sales, I was good at outside sales, and I was good at cold calling. And so what I did was, we were living in Denver at the time, and I walked into Swedish hospital, Denver, Colorado, went to the pharmacy, the hospital pharmacy, and went up, knocked on the window, Pharmacist came up and I said, hey, I'm looking to get into the pharmaceutical industry. Could I go through your Rolodex? Remember what a Rolodex is, Mm -hmm. right? Could I go through your Rolodex and just write down names and phone numbers? And he was awesome. Still remember the guy's face so well. And he's like, yeah, man, sure. He turned his book of all of the reps that called on him over to me and all their business cards. And man, I just started writing down names on a legal pad and I went home and I just started calling people. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. This is what I've been doing. Do you have any openings? Do you know of any openings? And see, I wasn't speaking to the decision makers, but I had to get my message across to them Mm -hmm. so that I could get in front of the decision makers. And fortunately, I had a couple of opportunities. And the one that came along that um, I was most excited about is the one with Murr. And so I started my career with them in Denver, did a couple of different corporate moves, and had a number of different positions. Um, we moved up here about five years ago from San Antonio. Okay. Um, it was about, you know, I've had it in my heart for a long time to do more of my own entrepreneurial thing. Um, and so I served in a nonprofit for about 10 years where I was teaching and training, um, 250 to 300 individuals every single week in a, in a, uh, lecture type setting. And so it was over that time that I really, so to back up, Greg, what I did was I stepped back and I said, you know, what are the gifts that I have? What am I good at other than what I'm currently doing within my role that I could take outside and potentially add value to other people outside Mm -hmm. of that? And what I really self-evaluated and reflected and felt like that I had been given the gift of communication and I've always had that gift. I've had it in different formats. Um, when I was a kid, I loved to sing, I was in choirs, and you know, did all this kind of stuff. Um, But I never had a problem being on stage, right? I was always comfortable being in front of a crowd, in fact maybe a little bit too comfortable at times. And um, So I really thought that I would take my passion with what I've developed as um, as a team leader, as a people leader, um, and take that into the marketplace where I could Invest that in other people, in either large settings, smaller settings, individual settings, and so. A number of years ago, I began to build out my own business as uh, as a keynote speaker, as a workshop trainer, as an executive coach. Mm-hmm. And where I found that I really my my message is a very broad message around leadership development, resilience, um, change management, uh, work-life balance, which maybe we can talk about. Mm-hmm because it's a little bit of a misnomer for me. But um, what I really found that I'm passionate about is investing in emerging leaders. And um, that's how I've met some of our mutual connections Mm -hmm. and um, just having an opportunity to invest in them, seeing these individuals that are, I would typically say, the people that I typically work with one-on-one are anywhere from 28 to about 34, 35. Okay. Okay. And they're looking at me as a 48-year-old guy, and they get to know me, they get to know my career, my life, my family, what I do outside of work, and they go, okay, how can I get to where Todd is when I'm 48?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How can I have a viable career, a family that loves me still, a wife that I've been married to for 25 years, um, still maintain a pretty strong physical presence in terms of just Maintaining himself, finding time for his own personal fitness, and just building a really resilient growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And people just say, "Okay, teach me, show me, mentor me." I th- look, I think it's spot on,
0: um, and I can identify it completely. As we touched on earlier, not having a male role model, like a direct male role model or a father figure, you start looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. start looking around. Okay, what are my friends? have or what are they getting from maybe from their father or what is my first boss teaching me or that and you could easily be going down the wrong path, be led by the wrong the wrong people. And you don't know what forty eight really looks like or how anybody gets from this one stage to to the next. It's like that movie sliding doors. Like you you go in one door and your life goes in one complete direction, you just go right through the other door and it's a completely different different thing. By the whether some of your experiences or how things happen. So I think, it's, I think it's amazing, and I think there are so many guys out there, again, that could benefit from just having these discussions, just understanding how, these, how lives develop, even if they don't follow every aspect of what you're doing or what I'm doing or anything, just to learn what options exist, what paths exist. Yeah. Can yeah. you actually stay with the company? for 24 years, and in this day and age, what is that, unheard of, you know, in in a way of everybody's going to be an entrepreneur and jump around or or do all these things, but can you stay with the company, move, work your way up, have a successful life, and still be an athlete, still be a good father, all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think more guys need to, need to hear that also on, on the come up as well. And I think it can still be reinforced to our contemporaries. You know, right now, the guys that are struggling with, is this enough?
1: Yeah.
0: Is this it? Is this enough? Is this it? What else do I need to get that buzz, that excitement back, or, or, or whatever might be missing? How do you reignite that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe take a step back and take a look at it. And you should be pretty fucking excited about where things are. Yeah. Maybe we just need, to, just need to hear that from somebody every once in a while.
1: I've, I've found that there are two types of individuals that recently. so that have surprised me that have kind of come into my life a couple of years ago when I felt like I really wanted to invest in emerging leaders I didn't know if there was any interest in that I didn't know if emerging leaders even cared what a 48 year old guy had to say right so I, I wanted to do a proof of concept and so I, um, I connected with a bunch of guys that were super high performers most of them entrepreneurs some a couple of corporate types and I said hey um, I want to put together a six-week mastermind group and six sessions we're going to do it every other week we're going to get together at 630 in the morning and I'm going to invest in you and if that's of interest to you show up be there we'll do it. We had 12 individuals show up for that and I can tell you Greg what really surprised me so what I did with that mastermind group is not only did I group coach them during those sessions but I made a point to connect with those guys either over the phone, on text, or even over coffee in between our sessions. So that I was getting some one-on-one time with them and just like, tell me what's up, tell me, tell me what you're all about, tell me what your pain points are, what are your challenges, how are you working through that? One of the things that really surprised me, I would say of the, of the 12 individuals that I worked with, all of them were men. I would honestly guess probably eight of them had no male role model or came from a dysfunctional background mm-hmm. or, you know, I just had coffee with one recently, and he said, yeah, dad cheated on mom, they divorced when I was four, dad wasn't around, you know, and, and so these guys are looking for guys like me that are about 15 years ahead of them, that are, that are I, I won't say that I'm crushing it in life, but, but I've had some wins, mm-hmm. right, and so they're saying, how in the world can I get some of those same wins, and I just don't have anybody that can kind of show me the way. The other person that I've seen, individual type, that I've seen, that kind of surprised me is guys our age that are now starting to come to me and they're saying, hey, it's halftime, right? I'm in the second half of the game Mm -hmm. and I'm having this kind of this epiphany moment. I don't think it's so much a midlife crisis as much as it is they're finally slowing down enough to reflect and they're saying, you know what? I haven't hit the milestones that I thought I would be hitting by this point. And I need somebody to come alongside of me and point the way, hold me accountable. Accountability is huge. Accountability is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I find guys hire me as their coach, whether they want to admit it or not, because they want the accountability, and they know that they need the accountability.
0: I would, I would believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I have a coach for the exact same reason. I, yeah, pretty much as much as I love the guy, who's listening, Chris. He's listening. I don't really know what his background is, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, he's just a great guy recommended to me by other great guys I know he's got a tremendous pedigree and everything else but the number one thing he helps me with is accountability
1: yeah yeah
0: call me on my own bullshit and accountability yeah and when you meet with somebody regularly that holds you accountable to that and I've got another buddy who has started texting me Mm -hmm. for the same exact reasons Monday morning did you do what you said you were gonna do over Mm -hmm. the weekend Hey, you were going to go live in a tent up in Cooperstown, New York. You said you were going to write this vivid oh, wow. vision on your for your next phase. Did you write it? Like, fuck, really? Like, this guy's going to be checking up on me? I better do it. Because yeah. I really don't want to go take his pool workout class on Sunday if I didn't do it. Oh. And he's going to look at me, and he's going to know I didn't do it, yeah. and then I'm not going to be... It just Maybe it's Jewish guilt, too. I don't know. But, yeah, but yeah to your point, accountability is huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to get complacent, easy to get lazy on that stuff. Easy, I think, to not be sure what the next phase is or even what the milestones should be based on maybe what they were before. Right. Realistic or unrealistic.
1: So one of the things, Greg, that I'm really big on is, you know, there's the old cliche about you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time Mm -hmm. with. And it's really true. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that borne out in so many ways. And it's one of the It's one of the most important things that I reinforce to my own kids is who you spend the most time with is going to have a huge impact on your future. Huge impact. You don't even begin to understand that. But one of the things I'm really big on is being very selective about who you let into your inner circle, and you keep that inner circle close. And what I like to call them is either your tribe or, better yet, in the business world, your internal board of advisors right so especially entrepreneurs especially guys that are again emerging leaders Mm -hmm. they're building out their businesses they're looking for answers they can use some assistance those individuals need to have four or five guys around them that they can bring together over lunch and just say here's my business problem you guys pile on Mm -hmm. help me out you know guys that you have a healthy relationship with that you trust and that you know have no ulterior motive other than to see you win. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because we can, get, we can get feedback from people and we can get input from people that we don't necessarily have a healthy relationship with. Right. And there may be an ulterior motive. There may be some jealousy. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, Greg, you're so successful, dude. You're killing it and you're asking me for advice. And if I give you some really good advice and you 10x that, then where does that leave me? I mm-hmm. mean, you know... I'm always. I'm, I'm really big on only let the people in that you get feedback from, that you have a healthy relationship with, that you know are wanting to help you and not hurt you.
0: Do you have particular criteria then to kind of make make that up for yourself, kind of a bit of a, maybe a, like a checklist or what do you go to use the term Rolodex early on? And say, like, what are you looking for in those people? How do they how do they get in? Who do you let in? Meaning, are there are there certain things, characteristics whatever, that click with you that say, okay, maybe this is one of those people. Yeah. You know, that can that can be in the circle. You know, have people left the circle voluntarily, or and you said thought to yourself, maybe I'm really not getting much out of it or what I thought yeah. I was getting out of this.
1: I, I recently withdrew from. A relationship. I just kind of pull myself back because one of the criteria that I have is that if I'm going to let somebody in my circle, I want them to give more than they get, right? And I'm going to do the same, right? We have this mutual, like, dude, I'm going to I'm going to do whatever it takes. Like, you call me at midnight and you're like, hey, man, I need this. Like, I'm going to be there. That's mm-hmm. the kind of guy I also want on my team, right? And so um, I would call that leaning in. You know, mm-hmm. knowing that if you and I are in the tribe together, that you're gonna lean in as much as I'm gonna lean in, that you're gonna be committed to my growth as much as I'm gonna be committed to your growth. And that's a tough synergy to find. It's really tough to find kind of those guys that are like that, that you know them when you see them because they're vulnerable, they're authentic, they're not afraid to give you feedback. Um, There's no jealousy, there's no ulterior motives. Um, I think the other thing too that I look for is someone with different skill sets and experiences that Mm -hmm. I have. You know, I've I've got a I've got a lot of experience in the corporate world. Um, I don't have any I don't have much experience in digital marketing. I'd love to be connected with someone in my inner circle that has experience in something else other than what I do, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, call that diversity of thought, diversity of experiences. I think is also really important. Um, just because.
0: It just breeds such great innovation and ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think once you find the again the like minded guy, a like minded person that could be in that tribe, what they actually do is is almost is almost irrelevant. Because yeah, you're applying right. the same skill sets, you're applying the same work ethic, you're applying the same morals, you're applying the same lean in mentality, all whatever they do, maybe they're great at digital, yeah. Maybe they're they're Great at running a gym. Maybe they're great at pharmaceutical sales insurance, whatever it may be, but if they're the right caliber person Right, they still they still fit and yep. again that complementary skill maybe maybe even more beneficial. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay I've got this circle of complementary skill sets But we're all very much aligned in the way we mm-hmm. live our lives mm-hmm. and the way we want to be there and for for one another is that is that challenging for you, or is this also an offshoot of, again, what you do for a big company, mm-hmm. which moves very differently? And I guess I've got a, a big company, if you not as, certainly not as big as Merck, but at this yeah. point we've got 150 people. You know, we've got 10 shareholders and partners. That's a lot of differences in there, um, and I do not have necessarily the the singular ability. To just say, we're going to do this, and then, right. and then we do this, you know, or, or to lead. And I wonder if, if maybe that's an impetus for you to take it outside, like it is for me sometimes, which is just try to lead by example. Mm-hmm. I may not be able to change a fundamental rule, you know, here or a way of necessarily doing things, but I can control what I can control. Yeah. And I yeah. can lead by example. And nobody can stop me from inviting somebody to exercise with me. They may need a little more exercise. Or conduct business maybe a certain way, or talk philosophically, or go outside and create my own content. Yeah. Which helps to establish a personal brand, maybe create some followers from our company or wherever it may be, or attract a certain client base. Maybe even repel some people too for the right reasons. Is it similar? Maybe for
1: you? I think I think it all goes back to culture. So whether it's your organization or my my organization, I mean, in my organization, obviously, when you when you got an organization that's fifty thousand employees, dude, it's the biggest aircraft carrier you've ever seen, right? Nothing turns quickly, and the culture is so steeped um, for that organization. It's been around one hundred twenty five years, yeah. you know, so. The, the the culture is very very steep and it's a good culture. It's one of the reasons that I've stayed there, because I do appreciate the culture. But you have to take the good and the bad with it. Mm-hmm. Where I really appreciate that I've been given the freedom is to create the culture within my own sphere of influence. And so I think you know to your point about earlier, I think you were asking the question about you know as you're leading, leading by example. That's the opportunity to kind of create the culture. And um, Letting, letting the other folks around you that are within your sphere of influence, whether you're leading them directly or even indirectly know that, you know, this is my leadership style. These are the things that I stand for. These are my values. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm someone, Greg, I'm, am if you, if I do a Myers Briggs or a disc analysis or whatever, I'm one, of these, uh-huh. I'm one of these bold dominant, you know, kind of really director types. And so I tend to push, back pretty hard um and fortunately i'm in a culture where that's encouraged because that's um there may not there may not always be an end point for that for me but they at least allow me the voice to speak Mm -hmm. up with courage and candor and then and then we have a respectful environment where people listen and then people say okay yeah that'd work or no probably wouldn't work in second thought okay we move on but i but i value the the culture that's created where people have that ability to speak mm-hmm. up with courage and candor.
0: You touched earlier on work, on work life balance, and as I hear you talk about you know, working in a fifty plus thousand person organization, and obviously the responsibilities, and my head turns to, okay, well he's got a quota, he's got to perform, he's got to be out there and do all those things, and that is a full full time job. Yeah, we've also got a family. And so if I make any assumptions but you said we so we've got wife, kids yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about okay, That's right. in, in there and at the same time you are a competitive athlete coaching in coaching CrossFit as well Right Level 2 not an easy place to get to either and we're for those out there I mean like high level CrossFit athlete like top 50 in the world over in the over 46 right? Categories In the 45,
1: go- in the 45 plus so um, yes
0: so are you better than Logan Clark? Can I say, do you know Logan? Gosh, no. Gosh, no? No. Damn it, Logan, come on.
1: <laughs> Logan's a stud, Mr. Misfit. He's also a year or two younger than me, but he's good. he's,
0: oh, good. But he's a little bit younger. i seen okay. Logan on a number of occasions. There, there we go. Okay, one of my one of my favorite people. But I've got
1: more hair than Logan, so I'll, uh, yeah. I'll I, I do not, yeah. so okay, there you go. <laughs> no, Logan's good.
0: So you've got this though. Again, now we're back to, and, and I wrestle with the word a little bit too because, you know, balance is subjective and for everybody I think it's somewhat over, overused in a way. Yeah. But with the leadership coaching as well, how do you manage your time, I guess?
1: Yeah. So for the benefit of folks that are maybe listening to this, I'll just give you uh, the 10-second bio. So my wife and I have been married for 25 years. Uh, we've got five kids. Uh, We've got a son who just turned 25, and then we've got four daughters, all our own, and um, we've been really blessed to have them. Uh, He's 25, and then the four girls are uh, 22, 21, 17, almost 13, and almost 11. So we've got a 14-year span, and it's been awesome. It's been fun um, to have that. Um, Family's huge for me. One of the reasons I'm so um, passionate about my fitness is that I want to be there for my kids, and I want to I want to show up for them, and I want to maintain a level of physical physical activity. So whether it's me throwing ball with my son, or whether it's me playing softball with my daughter, or, or hitting tennis balls, or going to the swim swim practice, doing anything in between, that's been important to me. Um, serving as I said earlier in a nonprofit for ten years, where I was literally committing twelve to fifteen hours a week leading that nonprofit um, here in the Dallas area um, and then before that in the San Antonio area when we lived in San Antonio. Obviously the corporate stuff, being a corporate leader, doing that, being committed to that and now spending more of my time, um, you know, traveling around, doing keynotes, doing executive coaching. Um, I just had the opportunity to do my first international uh, leadership conference back in April. Actually went to um, the Middle East, was invited to go out there and speak and so that was a that was a really cool opportunity when people ask me and this is a really, really common question that I get is how do you balance it all? My answer is that I don't, I don't actually believe in the concept of work life balance. I don't believe that anything that's physically alive stays in balance. So if I stood up right now and I put myself in the most powerful position that I could where my feet were firmly planted squarely underneath my shoulders, there are micro-adjustments that are taking place within my fast-twitch, low-twitch fibers within my muscles that are keeping me, as a bipod, constantly in balance. What we don't see are all the small, minute, uh, micro-adjustments that are being mm-hmm. made. There's, there, there's no... You know, people want to think, if I can just get to this one single point and hold this, I'm in balance. But the truth is there's nothing in life that ever stays in balance. We're obviously always adjusting between the two. And I think especially as an entrepreneur, the greatness lies in knowing when you need to be out on the edge and when it's time to come back. Mm -hmm. And that can either be your family that can remind you of that, your spouse um, or your tribe, the people that are around you that see you, that know you, that know, hey, man, you're out there, time to come back, you know. Um, So for me, it's really a, a matter of swinging to the different areas mm-hmm. so for me um, it's usually about an hour and a half a day in the gym um, i actually get to do that with my wife and our son and our daughter so we've got it's kind of cool because our family is involved in that so that actually provides opportunities for us to do something together and we f- and we we feel that togetherness yep. right is if you've been as you've been into um, the crossfit community i mean it, it is a community you don't just go to the gym, put your headphones on, and just kind of do your own thing. I mean, right. it's, mm-hmm. it is a community event whenever you go and you, you do your workouts together. And so the funny thing is the joke that I tell people, and it's absolutely true, it's not a joke, it's that when we go out for family dinners, it's usually, hey, so what did you do on that workout today? What was your rep scheme? What was your strategy there? And so we, we kind of talk about our workouts. Yeah, look, the, there's you know, commonality. Yeah, too, there's I mean, all this kind of stuff. So one of the things I tell people is if you can find something to do, a hobby, it's a healthy hobby that you can do with your family, your spouse, your significant other. Man, it's going to make your life so much more better. Mm-hmm. Versus, oh well, he's a cyclist and she's a runner, and they're going to go this way opposite opposite directions for two hours, and not see each other, and then they're going to come back. Yep,
0: and then multiply the two hours times basically five six days a week. Yeah. Okay, over the course of the year, and think about how much time you're spending apart. Yeah. Which may or may not work for for anybody. Depending upon how
1: the relationship yeah.
0: how, how you look at it, yeah, so I'm going to just harp on this a little bit longer because I do fi- I find it particularly interesting um, and I think people out there could also identify with it so again, when you decide you want to get go into speaking and you start you start speaking, you start doing your your programs, you get out now nice, you said you get your first trip out to most. the question that I have on this is. Do you go and talk to your boss basically and say, yeah. "Hey, this is this is what I'm doing, and this is how much time I need," or like, these paths are they going down the same track in the same direction? Because I think there's a lot. The, of I can't do that. Yeah, you know, I I have a job, you know, or I have this, or I have one, mm. I can. Supposed to we well, yeah, actually you can maybe if you approach it a certain way. Maybe your company's different than mine, or however it would work. But there is a way to do. All of, to do these things right. and, and you're obviously doing a lot of them but you go and you have that conversation and how you approach it and then you go off and, and you do your thing and the company's like yeah great good yeah. Do, do your thing here too
1: that that's really insightful Greg that's a great question because um, I don't think I've ever been asked that but that's absolutely a really really important point and I'm glad you asked because I can kind of delineate a little bit more about that so I'm someone that's a firm believer in a growth mindset And I think the reason I'm so passionate about having a growth mindset, which is this idea you're familiar with, if you've Mm -hmm. read some of the books, Carol Dweck's got a super book on it um, called Mindset, this idea that we are always in a state of growth, or we should be, and we can always change, we can always get better, we can always improve, we can always learn. Everything that we experience is an opportunity for us to grow. I grew up, maybe you did too, with more of a fixed mindset mindset. Mm-hmm. That I had to prove my worth because my worth was fixed, My abilities were fixed, that at five foot eight, I wasn't going to be able to do certain things. And so I didn't try things. I didn't try things that I didn't think I was going to be successful at because of fear of failure. And so I had this fixed mindset that I, I better only put myself out there if I know that I'm going to win. And so mm-hmm. I created this this crazy drive to always be the best and to prove myself over and over and over again and it was exhausting. So about 10 years ago I realized that I had other gifts that I wanted to develop that were not being developed in my workplace. And so what I did was I sought opportunities in a nonprofit to develop those things. Fortunately our company is very big on supporting nonprofit organizations. We they actually even give us time off a um, certain number of hours in the year to commit to nonprofit activities. And so I informed my uh, superiors at the time that I was going to be doing these nonprofit activities, totally cool with it, it's great. And the message I began to, to show them and to, to tell them and to show them was that what I do outside of Merck makes me a better employee, a better employee when I'm inside. Okay? And that was really, really important. That not only did I tell them that, but that I demonstrated that. Mm-hmm. So my leadership improved, my communication improved, all of these other things that I was learning and developing outside of my job in a nonprofit really had a positive bleed over effect to my corporate role without any diminished um, impact on my performance mm-hmm. or on my objectives, right? So when I decided to, um, Leave the nonprofit world and build out my own speaking business, my own coaching business. I was very upfront communicating that with my organization. And here's here's the thing, Greg. I realized that I got to a place in the organization where, unless I w- was willing to make a large geographic move, that um, I was probably not going to have as many opportunities in the future. Mm-hmm. And at the time we were not willing to make a large geographic move and so here we were we had our family we had what a really good um, quality of life with where we were and so what i really conveyed to the organization to my to my superiors was that i don't want to stop growing inside or outside the organization and greg this is something i see in my organization a lot of individuals A lot of guys, especially, they hit this age where you and I are at, this midlife age. And they're like, you know what? I got benefits. I've got a pension. I've got all of this. And I'm just going to put this thing on cruise control for the next 10 or 15 years. And I'm just going to ride this in and just let, let the surf take me back in. And man, I saw those individuals having a lot of cynicism, poor work ethic, poor performance. But you know, just being average performers, and I didn't want to be that, and I did not want to be anything like that, and so I really wanted to continue to grow and to learn, and so I, I, I informed them up. I said, listen, this is what I'm going to do. There will be times when I might be asked to speak at a non-profit event. Um, recently spoke at the Dallas Junior Chamber of Commerce. It's on a Saturday night, right? It has nothing to do with my work. It doesn't interfere. There's no conflict of interest, and so I just simply inform hey, there may be times that I'm going to have to take off a day or two of vacation. And are you guys cool with that? And if you're cool with that, you know, if you need me to, to sign off with the Office of Ethics that I'm not doing anything that's out of compliance or that has anything mm-hmm. to do with a uh, uh, conflict of interest, you know, like I would never go and speak to a competitor, mm-hmm. right, at one of their annual meetings or anything like that. Sure. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean? And they probably wouldn't bring me in any way, but it would just, or, or even a customer, right, um, or something that was semblance of a, of a customer Mm -hmm. in another part of the US you know Um, and so far I mean they've been super supportive and it's been great
0: I think what's what's great about that is walking us through the process and the how because I think a lot of people get bogged down with the oh you're telling me what you're doing but what I also want to know is I want to know how you actually did it you know how you had those harder conversations or the steps you took to actually get the freedom or the open bandwidth to be able to do what you do and the analysis is interesting to me too of okay good quality of life we like where we live okay we're maybe relatively content with the with the income right now i can only reach a certain point unless we uh, unless we move overall but could i complement it with something else does it make me better and i love the evaluation internally externally uh, I had probably an hour long conversation on the drive here today from Houston to Dallas with a good buddy of mine. Who's also one of my accountability partners in, in inner circles. Yeah. And he's a book publisher, self-made guy, really tremendous individual. Uh, and I think the best part about our relationship is that we barely ever see each other. You know, so we can just call each other yeah. on, on everything because we're not so close that we see it's all you tell me your stuff i get to tell you your stuff but it was a, a situation that your story made me think of where he's got a guy a second second in command that he was hoping to groom to take over for him but this individual he wants to be something else mm-hmm. he's got something else going on you know on the side mm-hmm. and the manner in which he approached or didn't approach it or exactly what it is is not complimentary to what his real role is within the company. Yeah. And that's where the friction is, yeah. which is, I'm having trouble sleeping at night because I'm banking on that, if I bet on this person who's said there's gonna be this, this and this, and what they're doing is, they are doing something on Saturday night and they are doing something during the week and it is detracting from, from the job and we're not clicking on that. We're both not seeing it the same way. So right. I think what you said has such, great validity to it to have those conversations and it's in the approach. And if it really is making you better at both, you know, in a way selling it, good communicator, good salesman, yeah. selling it through, then it is a win-win. But if the alignment isn't there, these conversations have happened too. That's, that's when a tipping point gets reached. Something has to give. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: You know, if, if if there was somebody listening to this podcast that was really interested in potentially doing something like what I've done, in, in whatever their swim lane is, but they're like, "Hey, I'm working a corporate job, but I'm really, really passionate about X, Y, and Z." Yeah. You know, um, the first thing I would say to them is, "Don't be afraid, go for it." But the caveat to that is, is that you've got to make sure that you're putting out the performance that's expected, because at no for me at no point. Did I, would I ever feel ethical about making the investment of my time and attention mm-hmm. if at any point there was ever a question that my performance or my commitment or my drive to do what I primarily do in my corporate world was not first.
0: Yep. I think it's, it's, it's critical and I have partners too. So this hits home in the manner that well, I have partners in, in my insurance firm yeah. and they are High performers, really super focused, amazing, amazing guys that are, dri- that are really, really driven. Personally, we're different. I mean, everybody, everybody's different. But some of my passions, some of my extracurriculars, if you will, outside investments, other things, have been topics of our relationship over the course of years. You know, that I mean, as long as it's not detracting from your performance right. here, does it reflect positively on the firm? Does it positively impact our business? Are we engaging in different categories or classes of business or things that we want to do? Or again, is it a distraction or taking away? Mm-hmm. And as long as we know, again, what our swim lane is, which is, hey, you guys, one, two, three, you're going to be our top three. Like, like we can see You're the top three every single year. You live, sleep, breathe this this stuff every year. Are we cool with also some of the guys that are Always four, five, and six. Always four, five, and six. They're great producers, great people, great representatives of the firm. This is how much they're going to give and this is where they're going to be. But everything else they do really makes us, you know, makes them look good, makes us look good, Mm -hmm. good for the community in there too. And is there, there's cumulative value in that. When you're, again, building culture. Yeah. Building an, an image or an impact of the firm that you're with just to understand and be completely transparent about it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So I, I I like all that stuff a lot, a lot. Um, in there. Let me ask you a little bit about, because now we're talking, do you shut it down? Like, are you able to, I mean, you're a pretty intense guy. You're a really focused guy. You've got the, I mean, do you come home, okay? Are you able to just, Kick it and say, okay, I'm actually just sitting on the couch. I'm doing fucking nothing for the next day or two or whatever. Or just grilling, hanging out with the kid. Like, do you shut it down at yeah. all?
1: Yeah, I've gotten I, I've gotten much better at that. Um, and fortunately, I have a strong accountability partner in this. And her name is Jamie. <laughs> and um, who happens to be my bride of 25 years. Mm. And she really keeps me really well-centered when it comes to things like that. And so... Um, but you know what as a, as a leader as well within my organization I know that I have to be that way because my team needs me to be that way and here's what I mean by that I'm, I'm glad you asked this because this is something I'm also really passionate about when it comes to people that have uh, leaders that have people that work for them here's what I mean I see leaders that always have it on seven days a week and if your team is getting text emails phone calls communications from you 24/7 you're wearing them out you're not respecting their private lives their mm-hmm. personal lives and while they may say to you hey it's okay you know i'm here for you and stuff i bet their significant others are not saying hey it's okay you know there's you as a leader are probably creating a lot of unannounced st- strife Mm -hmm. within their personal relationships that you have no idea that that you're taking advantage of. And I've seen that in my own life when I had other leaders that that put that expectation on me. And so it became really important to me as a leader of others that I did shut it down for their sake so that they could enjoy their time as much as I wanted to enjoy my time. And so, Mm -hmm. like, for example, one of the things that we like to do is every summer we like to go to Breckenridge and spend seven to ten days, you know, getting out of the Dallas heat, just hanging out in breakfast as a family. Man, I do not do anything work-related while I'm up there. Put the out-of-office on. If you need something, here's my surrogate. You can contact them, but you're not going to get texts from me. You're not going to get emails from me. I'm not going to do any of that, and I want them to have that same freedom whenever they're shutting it down. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if I know that they're shutting it down for vacation with their family and I'm getting emails from them, I'm not too pleased with them because that means that I'm not, that they're not following the, the standard that I'm hoping to set for the rest of the team. Because mm-hmm. here's what happens, Greg, is if, is if a team communication goes out from someone while they're on vacation, it could unknowingly create this level of competition like, oh, well, Joe's working on vacation and Sarah's like, maybe I should be working on vacation because what if Joe's impressing Todd? And, you know, all this other kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So long answer to your question is I've gotten a lot better about shutting it down. And um, one of the areas that I absolutely shut it down is when I go to bed at night, usually it's around 10 or 10.30. I don't turn it on again until 8 or 8.30 the next day. I'm really, really... Um, protective of my mornings
0: you don't turn it on again until 8 30 9 o'clock in the morning you're waking up at what time
1: so I'm a huge believer huge believer for me for the level of physical activity that I do I absolutely have to have eight to nine hours of sleep at 48 years old if I'm gonna perform physically and show up the way that I want to show up in my business interactions I have to have eight or nine hours of sleep. Unfortunately, with our family dynamics, it oftentimes doesn't mean that I'm able to go to bed before about 10 or 10.30. So realistically, I love these guys that are like, ah, Jocko Willing, man, I'm up at 4.30, 4.45, taking pictures of my watch. More power to you, bro. If you can do that and get in the sleep you need, uh-huh. I love it. I can't do it. I just, I, um, there's times when I coach the 5.30 a.m. class at our box. And if I don't go to bed by like 8, I'm a wreck the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, because I get up at 4.30 yeah. to go coach. the, And if I stay on my 10 o'clock go to bed and I only get six, six and a half hours of sleep, I'm seriously, dude, I'm just a wreck.
0: It crushed me. So for a couple of years at Row, I coached the Monday morning 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. classes. Yeah. Which was to make sure, leading by example, that everybody on the team knew that I, I was able to do it. Yeah. That... You make yeah, a commitment that's good. to get up in the fours. okay. And by the way, nobody wakes up in the fours okay, unless they really have to. I, I, that part I, I believe. Yeah. If you had any other choice, basically, what I admire is if you're waking up in the fours, it's because fitness matters to you and that's really the only time you have to do it yeah. before you go about about the rest of the day. But But to your point there, getting to bed on Sunday nights, being able to shut it down, Mm. Turn the family dynamic you know, off or tell the kids they got to go to bed earlier, the movie's going off, which cutting into the family time, all the others, to wake up in the fours and get there and coach five and six a.m., it was so unbelievable. I, mean, I thought it would be a good way to start off my week. Boy, was I wrong. It was the actual worst way to start off my week, and this went on for probably about two years because I'm exhausted. Yeah. By the middle of the day on Monday, I was exhausted, oh, which sets the tone for the rest of the week, which was not... High, not as high performance as it needed as it needed to be. So what when do you train now? What's the optimal time for you to train?
1: So I, so we have a five o'clock class that I will typically go to, and if I can, if I can clear the decks and get out 4 4 thirty, I'll do some extra skill work, some strength work before, and then I'll take the class with the rest of the athletes at five. Or sometimes six. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I, I don't like to work out in the mornings. Me personally, um, I have other things that I like to do in the mornings that are less strenuous that allow me the thinking time that I need to prepare for the rest of the day. Um, so for me, I'm more of an afternoon guy. Okay. If I have to get up in the morning because I've got a flight or I've got a busy day, I will. But mm-hmm. it's not my optimal. I I don't I don't have, I don't have the optimal output in in terms of performance when I go to a five thirty. And when I coach the 530, one of the things I love about it is it's usually the same group of athletes. They are really committed to it because their work schedule demands that that's when they have to be there. Mm-hmm. And I love to coach those folks because they're so committed and I love to be with them. Um, I'm just glad I don't do it every day.
0: Like, I always found, I used to, to joke with everybody and they go, man, coaching is so much easier than doing at <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that yeah. hour. Yeah. Because it's hard. I admire it. Yeah. Anybody who can pick up a barbell, yeah, at five in the morning, oh, or do anything super super strenuous at five five in the morning, mm-hmm. and again it takes me a long time to wake up, a long time to warm up. Oh, so, <laughs> so that, yeah. Let's become we
1: could we could spend an hour talking about mobility and middle age, and warming up. I mean, oh my goodness. So the
0: workouts have gotten considerably shorter. The warm ups have gotten considerably longer. The vast majority of my money goes towards recovery now versus actually working out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, secret, it's mm-hmm. the
1: secret weapon, though. Recovery is the secret weapon. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that. He who can sleep the most and get the most recovery will win. All things being
0: equal. So without giving away too many of your competitive secrets, okay, what are you doing from a recovery standpoint now?
1: So um, a, a lot of mobility before my workouts... Um, I'll do mobility in the morning, especially when I'm sore, when I'm tight. That'll be, that's part of my morning routine. Um, I'll, depending on the level of soreness, sometimes electrical stimulation. Um, I love... Like the, a Power
0: Dot type thing? I got a Power Dot.
1: dot by, okay. I've got a Power Dot that I use, and I love that. Um, in the wintertime, I love Epsom salt baths, hot, hot, hot Epsom salt baths at night, followed by a, a cold shower right before bed to kind of bring down my body temperature. Um, in the summertime when it's hotter, it's really hard for me to get into 104 degree water, you mm-hmm. know, just cause it's so hot as it is. Um, but what I like to do for recovery is either an ice bath or a number of years ago, our son tore his ACL. And so after his ACL was, was repaired after his surgery, they gave him this device where um, you wrap it around your knee, and you fill up this bucket, if you will, with super cold ice water. And it pumps um, it pumps that ice water around the area of injury, around okay. the knee. And it also has a pressure pump in it. So it's putting pressure plus ice around the knee. Well, I just take that thing and lay it over my legs now and wrap it really, really tight with like an ACE bandage. And I, I will turn that on and I'll sit at night and, you know watch something with the kids and then I'll put it on one leg and then I'll take it off, put some more ice in, and put it on the
0: other leg. So there's yeah. a demographic of guys out there yeah, who completely get this, yeah. who yeah. totally get this yeah. and are rolling through it going, okay, well, that's a little variation on what I do versus yeah. this or I've tried this and there's a there's a big population that, that totally doesn't. And now, but what I'm also seeing is... In the executive athlete if you you know there's the con- competitive athlete and the executive athlete and I break them into a little different categories and also consider even myself at this point more of a weekend warrior guy that likes to do a lot of stuff you yeah. I mean, su- know not super competitive in any one area anymore but you know 46, 47, this stuff takes its toll. So you want to go five, six days a week and do- be able to do anything you want to do, it takes it takes its, its toll yeah. you know, on you yeah. and there. But what I'm seeing a lot of now, and I'm finding this even with myself, is I don't want to say two a days, but I'm breaking up my days into, hey, I have a recovery session, you know, and a self-care, maybe mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. and an actual workout. And I can't do them both together because I just do not have that much time, you know, yeah. in, any, yeah. in any one clip. I can't spend two and a half you know, yeah. hours, you know, doing all this. But utilizing my morning time, really to be able to recover. The Epsom, okay. Epsom salt baths, check the box. Yes. Yeah. Do I have a power dot at home? Yes. Do yeah. I love all of my Hyperice products? You know, that yeah. can vibrate and run over everything. Yes. Do I like to meditate with my Normatec recovery boots on? Do you have some? I do, They're they're fantastic. Uh, that's that's my. Um,
1: that's one of my bucket list items. So, so that's, so that's I, your I, holiday, your next book. Bu- I, I could sit with Norma Tech on my legs for hours. In fact, when I went to Waterpalooza, they had them just like lying out there in the athletes area and nobody was using them. And I'm like, man, I'm going to sit here for an hour with
0: this. So thing. I think I do some of my best work with, with them on laptop wow. on, put on my sleep. lap, you know, put them on. Yeah. I, even my kids are wearing them right now and make no money from Norma Tech paid yeah. retail yeah. okay but got introduced to them through the athletic room in Houston and then the D10 decathlon and I put these things on because my lower body really does not recover well my upper yeah. body still does does pretty well yeah. but my lower body uh uh-uh. so those have been just an absolute kind of godsend God said to have have those there but my mornings are Really for recovery, wake up slowly, get moving, put my feet on the ground, and go. Okay, what's creaking? What's sore? What needs to be, what needs to be lubricated and loosened up over a period of time to go the whole day. And like you, I I feel like I'm enjoying my workouts and performing much better. Middle of the day, if I can get out of the of the office around lunchtime, you know, and, and hit it in the middle of the day. And get back and have lunch. I'd rather have lunch at my desk and get a good middle of the day workout in, or yeah. kind of end of the day, as long as it doesn't cost me a game or something to go see the kid. You know, oh, I sure. yeah that yeah. kind of stuff in there. But, yeah. man, those early morning guys, you know, they're studs.
1: You know, so I, I think for a competitive athlete, so guys like Logan that you mentioned earlier, or myself, you know, where I'm traveling around going to master's events and trying to qualify for these master's events. Um, as I said, recovery is the secret weapon. If you're not recovering, you're not you're not ever going to be at the top of the game. And so, but then again, Greg, not everybody wants that, mm-hmm. and, I, and I and I totally get that. But here's where I see the value. So if if, if I was sitting down talking to a weekend warrior, and he, you know he's like, hey man, I just want to go do my thing. I don't want to have to do this crazy Epsom salt ice bath. Don't even know what a power dot is or Normatec and all that stuff. Here's what I would say is if you're not taking the time to recover and you are so fatigued and so sore that it's preventing you from maintaining a positive habit of doing some type of physical activity then you're hindering yourself from being able to have that continuity Mm -hmm. you know so hey when we have new athletes come to our box I I tell them especially these what we get is a lot of middle-aged guys used to be college athletes they're 40 pounds overweight now And they just want to start dropping some pounds and they want to be healthy again. And what I tell them is, listen, the first two weeks are going to suck. I'm just telling you, prepare yourself mentally to be resilient because you're going to hate yourself and your body's going to be screaming at you for two weeks. But I promise you, if you will stick with the program, it will get better and you will begin to see results. And I tell guys, come at a minimum, come two days a week. And if you can, get there three. Don't come more than that. Don't don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Don't try to come mm-hmm. five days a week and all that. You are going to burn out. You're going to crash and burn, and you're never going to be successful that way. You're never going to get past that four week kind of yep. And I think it's, it's, it's
0: spot on. It's consistency, and you need something that's sustainable and it's longevity based. That recovery time is is paramount. You know, yeah. At this point, and and smart programming. You know. yeah, and
1: yeah. 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 And here's the other thing, and I always tell guys this, man, they want to come in. Let's say we're doing some back squats that day, and then we're going to do a med I tell these guys, I'm like, I don't care how much you back squatted in college. You're not going to back squat even half that today because I'm not going to let you because we're going to work on form. We're going to do it safely. We're going to make sure you're doing it the right way. And more than anything, I want you to be able to come back and walk in here in two days. And if you throw 400 pounds on your back like you used to be able to do in college and think you're going to do five sets of five and walk for the next three days, it ain't happening
0: man. It's not
1: happening. Let's just ease into this. Don't be a hero. Well,
0: I think what we're touching on also here, and, and we can you know, have great conversations about PRs and this and that and joke all that, but what we're really touching on also is the intelligence of, of also how you choose your coaches, you know, how you oh, yeah. choose your box and where you going to, or wherever you're working out or training or getting back into it. always said and if this works for anybody out there, do not choose on price. You know, do not choose on geography or just certain. You know, something that's .5 mile, the closest one to your house, or, yeah. or wherever it is. You really got to take the time to find the right coach, the right trainer, the right programming, what what will work for you, so that somebody also can tell you that you, what you are going to do, and more importantly, what you are not going to do, yeah. and be able to guide you through the process. I do see a lot of really intelligent guys in the business world and in life and all kinds of areas, Mm -hmm. not apply that to the same, to whether it's health and wellness and fitness. You know, and then other times, I think where you get in the coaching and what we talked about earlier, you may see guys that are, hey, that one hour a day in the box is the best hour of their day. It should be. I yeah. mean, but but it's. And I mean, that's what they're doing well. Yeah. I mean, they're hurting. They're sore outside. Everything else, but they get in there and they will not scale that thing. They will crush that and everything. Else, but they suffer the other twenty three hours at work or wherever else it is. And there is, there's got to be. You got to bring some reason to this and some and some rationale about how you're how you're handling it.
1: You gotta be. You gotta be humble. Also. That's that's the. I, mean, I mean, honestly, Greg, I, there was a time when I was training to try to qualify for the Games and CrossFit Games as a master's athlete when I was 47. And I was training with some guys in their early 20s and mid 20s. And the amount of volume that they were doing was just destroying me. I was, I was going home at night, having fought myself to keep up with these guys. And I was like, man, and I did it for about two weeks. And it left me so empty so spent that I finally had to just swallow my pride and say, guys, I can't train with y'all. I can't keep up. It's just too much. And, they're, you know, I'm 20 years older than them. And the reality is, is that there is a big difference between a master's athlete and a younger athlete. Absolutely. And, and you've got to be man enough to say, you know what? I'm not going to back squat what I used to back squat in college. And that's okay. I'm going to be cool with that. You know.
0: And it's not that you can't keep up with it. It's, it's about, again, the sustainability and also the intelligence, what we've learned, plus yeah. the, the, the actual fact is we're just also older.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: if you're programming well and you're getting the rest that you need and you're reco- you know, recovering the way that you need to, that on that actual day, when you do either compete with them or against or at the same thing, you'll do really well. Yeah. But if you try to do it every single day, again to the volume and everything, else, that's not, that's not gonna work yeah. know, any, anymore too. Someone's like, hey, the event's in November, I'll meet you there in November, okay? Because yeah. here's the way I have to train yeah. versus here's the way you, know, you may have to train you know, right now too.
1: There's a great quote and it says, don't be impressed with volume, be impressed with intensity. So think about that for a minute. Don't be impressed with someone's volume but be impressed with when they do what they do, how intensely do they go at it? Mm -hmm. And if at 48 I'm going with the right level of intensity, we just added heart rate, by the way, Um, heart rate readings in our box, so I wear a heart rate monitor now when I work out, and it's kind of like the Orange Theory model, where Mm -hmm. now I've got heart rate up there and there's different zones and I can see where I'm at, and I really like that. And if the guy over here next to me is just 26 years old and he's flying through it and he's a round or two ahead of me and I look up and I'm at 94% of my max heart rate. I'm like, okay, I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. I'm where I need to be. I've hit the intensity, you know, um, I, I'm coaching a guy business wise right now in his business. And one of the areas that he identified that he wanted to spend some time also was in his personal life on his physical fitness. And I said, listen, man, if CrossFit doesn't work for you, if the whole, whatever about it, the timing, the, um, don't like barbells, whatever it is that you don't like about it, fine. But find something that will work for right. you. Go to Orange Theory, go to a row class, go to a spin class. I'm not big on the lifetime fitnesses of the world just because I, the times I've been there, I've seen that it's too easy to not get in there with intensity, to not do what you need to do with intensity It comes just a strength workout. And for, for guys our age, our hearts really need that metabolic work yeah you know so I really try to focus guys to do whatever you do make sure that it's metabolic um, and make sure that you are at least doing body weight movements to build strong bone mass strong muscular mass Yep,
0: I think it's great advice and I think also coach led class group exercise classes they're helpful okay oh, they, they, look they know accountability what right accountability, accountability. versus walking into a gym and feeling just kind of lost yeah just looking around and feeling kind of lost yeah. it was the one thing that I missed um, when I did try to bring some of that back to, to focus on some weaknesses and do some things on myself, just walked in and looked around. And go, well, what do I actually do here? You know, like, yeah. where, like yeah. where are my friends? Where's my tribe? Yeah. You know, like who's telling me what to do or, or or yelling at me a little bit or in there too. So I think it's I think it's great advice. I don't want to stay fully on on fitness, but I do want to ask you just a couple more yeah quick quick questions here. You've been super generous with your time and literally getting in here from Oklahoma City all the way to Dallas just to get this done. That's good. What's the best advice you've received?
1: I would say for my, for my business, the best advice that I've received, um, yeah, two pieces of advice. I had a mentor um, younger in my career when I was developing my own personal leadership And he said, as you lead a team, there are three things that are absolutely most critical that you do as you lead a team. Jack Sanders said this to me. I said, okay, Jack, what is it? He said, number one, build the trust. Two, build the trust. Three, build the trust. The most important thing that you can do with your team is build the trust. And so I really took that to heart. The second thing that kind of feeds into that in terms of my own personal leadership was someone gave me the Zig Ziglar quote that has resonated with me my entire career, which is you can have anything in life that you want when you help another, when you help enough other people get what they want first. And it's really this kind of this servant leadership attitude of um, if I'm serving someone else, even if I'm their team leader, especially if I'm their team leader, if I'm serving them and I'm helping them achieve their goals, then that just creates massive momentum that obviously is gonna benefit me as well. But if I don't do it for my benefit, I do mm-hmm. it for their benefit. So I'd say that's probably the, the, the best thing that somebody gifted to me that's really resonated with me and I think has made me successful in my career is just adding value to other people.
0: Is there now in, in your professional career and your coaching career, is there a frequent mistake or misstep that you're seeing guys make? Is there something, com- I mean, in speaking to a lot of groups and putting a lot together, are you looking and going, okay, I'm, I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing a, a bunch of this, you know? Or are there are a lot of guys that are falling into this?
1: Yeah, so I, I, see, I see two things, one in the professional world and one in the personal world. In the professional world, I see guys putting a target On an outcome that to them represents success and achievement it can be a title CEO VP senior VP CFO whatever it can be a title it can be a number um, it can be a size you know it's it's a target that they've created to say if I can get that then I have arrived and that is a fixed mindset Because they're so driven to get to that target that they miss all of the joys of the journey along the way that they grew as they went through there. I'll give you a quick anecdote on that, and then I'll give you the personal one. Early on in my career, I told you earlier that I had a fixed mindset, that I had to prove myself, that I had to validate who I was through my performance. And so I was, before I took my first team, I was scared to death because I didn't know how to lead a team. And I thought, I had no idea how I'm gonna develop my leadership. And so when I was given the opportunity to lead a team, I began to put some targets in place that I wanted to achieve. And and targets in and of themselves are not a bad thing. Um, I wanted to achieve a certain number of awards and uh, be recognized and, you know, have some of those different Palmares, if you will, um, some of those different things to put on my resume. And over the course of about 15 years, Greg, I hit all of those things. And then three years ago, I walked into my office and uh, this is my home office. And I see up on the, the shelves, all of this crystal and acrylic and pictures and all of this stuff. And all of these things that I walk in and I go, yeah, I've achieved this, I've arrived. And I looked at that and I thought, I don't need that any longer to validate who I am. I don't need those things. I don't need to walk in every day and look at those things to know that I've been a really good leader, that I've affected positively other people's lives, that I've um, had the opportunity to see people's lives transformed. And I went and got a cardboard box and I put all of them in the box. And as I was walking it out to the garage, put it in the trash can my wife said what are you doing and i said i don't need it anymore that's not who i am that's not my identity and um, she was speechless she didn't know what to say and i threw it away i threw it all away because it wasn't my identity the journey to get there was my identity not the outcome and so that's number one guys who put a target on something and they think if i can get that title then that's my identity. If I can make X number of dollars, then that's my identity. And that's not your identity. It's who you are along the way to get you there. That's who you are.
0: Great, great answer. Great information. This has been a blast.
1: Yeah, I've enjoyed it.
0: Gotta have you back.
1: Let's do part two sometime. We definitely need to do
0: part two. Um, maybe we'll do part two over breakfast, okay, okay <laughs> the, Yeah in, in there too. But Todd, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate you giving me your time, your generosity, all your insight on this. Midlife Mail podcast, check it out. Todd, thank you so much for being with us today. Sure, man. Appreciate it. You
1: You've been listening to the Midlife Mail podcast with Greg Scheinman, presented by Inns Group. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit endsgroup.net.
0: All right, guys, I want to talk a little bit about mascot books. They are one of the country's leading hybrid book publishers, and they can take your big idea and transform it into a print or digital book that matches your voice and vision. Whether your story is one of growth, balance, success, or all of the above, Mascot Books will bring it to life. Head over to mascotbooks.com to learn more. I am a big believer that everybody has a story. Everybody's got a book in them. Not just the athletes, CEOs, entrepreneurs, risk takers, but everybody. You know you've got an idea for a book. If you do, if you want to put it out there, Head on over to MascotBooks.com. These guys are the best in the business. I have known Naren Ariel and his crew at Mascot Books for years. I've had him on the Midlife Mail podcast. Go back and check that out. We've also had a couple of his authors on the show as well. If you've got that story in you, if you want to be an author, you can do it. MascotBooks.com. want to thank these guys for supporting the show keeping the midlife male movement growing. Mascot Books. Check it out.